Charles, the lead pastor here. Welcome to Zoom Sunday service here at the river. We are so glad you could join us. Well, you may notice that my background is different than the usual. I am at the site of the new worship space at 75 Murray in Tribeca that we are going to be in when we actually reopen. Uh, we are renovating the space, we're getting it ready, we're not exactly sure when we'll be able to reopen, especially with the rise of the Delta variant. We're watching closely when would be a wise time to reopen. When we know, we will let you know. It will be a fun time when we can actually be together in person and worship together. Well, today I want to speak about spiritual gifts. It's a topic that's of interest to many Christians. Uh, there are over 600 million Pentecostals in the world. They are the Christians who focus on spiritual gifts and it is the fastest growing Christian sect in history. And of course, in the Catholic Church as well as Protestant churches, there are many who are focused on spiritual gifts. Sometimes they are called the Charismatics. Together, they form the largest flock of Christians. So the Pentecostals and Charismatics have become quite influential within the Christian circles, especially within the conservative and evangelical churches. Our church too, even though we never defined ourselves as focused on spiritual gifts, but we believe in the power of prayer, we believe spiritual gifts exist. However, we have not been emphasizing this area of Christian faith lately. So I get asked from time to time why we have stopped talking about spiritual gifts. So today, I'd like to address that question. The first reason is because it is not the heart of Christian faith. For example, Jesus said this in the book of Matthew, chapter 7. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. So clearly, it is possible to be a prophet who can perform miracles in the name of Jesus and yet have nothing to do with it. Just let that sink in for a moment. Because our assumption is that someone who can do miracles in Jesus' name, we assume automatically they are the holy people close to God. Many Christians, in fact, think that spiritual gift is the qualification to be a leader in church because they can demonstrate their holiness through their spiritual power. But this passage plainly teaches us they could have nothing to do with Jesus even if they can prophesy and perform miracles. And true enough, lately in our country, fruit 
from this sector of Christian faith has not been good, sadly. Did you know that most prophets in America predicted that Trump would win the re-election by the will of God? I think it's mostly because they operated within the conservative Christian world, which in my opinion is culturally driven rather than faith-driven at this point. And yet, only one prominent prophet apologized for this mistaken prediction, Jeremiah Johnson. Most others have doubled down, predicting that Trump will somehow return as the president, adding fire to the conspiracy theories such as Trump will return in August miraculously by the will of God. In contrast, Jeremiah Johnson apologized instead of insisting never being wrong, but he got such fierce criticism from Christians not for making a mistaken prediction, but for apologizing. He had to close down his ministry because the attacks were so fierce from conservative charismatic circles. Now that's bad truth, right? Downright cultish. It's right to apologize when you are wrong. And it's wrong to double down on conspiracy theories just to keep on insisting you could never have been wrong. All these leaders within the charismatic or Pentecostal traditions, there is a lot of bad fruit coming out recently in the last few years, include, uh, including all because of their wholehearted support for Trump, making faith political. I believe one reason this is happening is because they are so focused on separating the holy from the unholy, us versus them, the faithful versus the secular world. I believe this is coming from the tree of knowledge of good and bad. They have fallen into the categorical mindset, categorizing people according to spiritual power, holiness, spiritual disciplines, who's better, who's worse. It's quite appealing to many folks to categorize people and to follow a leader who's supposed to be holy and close to God because they are spiritually powerful. But that is not what Jesus taught as the heart of Christian faith. In fact, it goes against it. It's not spiritual power. Faith is all about agape love, unconditional love. And that's why we have stopped talking about spiritual gifts recently because we need to sort out what's going on in the larger context and what's happening with all those leaders in that area. Uh, we need to kind of take a step back for a little bit and discern again what's the right way to go. Because listen again to Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 7. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons. And in your name, perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. So we need to be careful just because someone does powerful spiritual uh, works in the name of Jesus doesn't mean that they are uh, leaders worth listening to.
we need to take this lesson to heart. And this lesson is not just from Jesus, but from Old Testament as well. We are in a sermon series called Understanding the Bible Through Jesus, going through all the major events in the Bible, one by one, in chronological order, and we are at the book of Judges at this point. And we now come upon one of the most colorful figures in the Bible, Samson. You've heard of Samson, yes? This incredibly powerful man with superhuman strength, uh, like Thor from the Avengers movie or something. He was given spirit, a tremendous spiritual gifts from God. So he became the judge of Israel, which is equivalent to being Pope slash King in our modern mind. But Samson was not a wise or holy or moral leader. This is why just following someone with spiritual gift can be dangerous. There are two lessons I want us to draw from the story of Samson today. One, God is patient and God is kind. And two, spiritual gifts are like natural gifts. Let me unpack that. First lesson, God seems to be incredibly patient and kind with Samson because Samson does horrible thing after horrible thing. But God does not withdraw the favor, God's blessing upon his life. Samson, by all accounts, is a very impulsive, very violent man. The first major story of Samson is about how he wants to marry a Philistine woman against very strong prohibitions in the Bible against that. People of faith were supposed to marry within the faith. Very strong rules about that. Yet, Samson pushes his agenda through. And at the wedding, this is what happens. Samson held a feast as was customary for young men. When the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answers, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. He replied, Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give the answer. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the will for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to steal our property? Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, you hate me, you don't really love me, You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. Samson replied, I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, so why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the wedding feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her, because she continued to press him, 
and she in turn explained a little to her people. Before sunset, on the seventh day, the man of the town said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, If you had not clogged with my high heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, his spiritual gift, his power. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down thirty of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home, and Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. What a terrible violent story, don't you think? To sum it up, Samson insists on marrying outside of faith. Then he throws out a riddle out of nowhere to needle his wedding companions. I mean, why would he do that? And then his wife sells him out. So he gets married. And to get 30 such a clothing, he goes down to a town and kills 30 people who have nothing to do with any of this to get their clothing to pay off his debt. What an impulsive, unwise use of the spiritual gift given to him. And then the fight escalates and escalates with Samson killing a thousand men by the end. Is this a good, moral, holy man? I don't think so. The next passage is about how he sleeps with prostitutes. Then comes the most famous part of his story, Delilah. You've heard of Samson and Delilah. She is not a good woman. She keeps trying to get the secret of Samson's strength to destroy him. And at first, Samson gives her false answers. Judges chapter 16. Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dry, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines, Samson's enemies, brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied them with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Well, Samson is smart enough to keep his secret, right? I guess he knows what Delilah is up to. But this happens over and over again. Delilah keeps asking for the secret. And Samson keeps giving out false answers. And his enemies keep trying those exact false answers on him. But eventually he wears out and tells her the truth. Judges chapter 16 verse 17. So he told her everything. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me. And I would become as weak as any other man. Wait. Is Samson... A moron? Or what? Right? 
Why would he tell Delilah the secret of his strength when it's so obvious she's trying to destroy him? Every time he told her something, she would uh, tell his enemies who would try it on him. Did he think God would protect him no matter what? Has he become so arrogant? Samson is tremendously gifted by the grace of God, but he is so immature and unwise, not someone to look up to. So there are two lessons here, as I said before. First, God is so patient and kind with Samson, right? Despite his many, many failings, God really sticks with him for so long. And that should help us feel safer with God. As a pastor, I have often been asked, is God punishing me? I haven't come to church as regularly as I should have. I have made mistakes. I have committed sins. Is God angry with me? Especially when something bad happens, many of us jump to the conclusion that God may be punishing us, abandoned us. Today, I want to make this very, very clear to you. God is kind. God is patient. God always protects, always trusts, always hopes the best for you, and always perseveres with you. Amen. This is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which actually says, Agape love is kind and patient and all that. But 1 John 4, 7 says, God is agape love. So if we can substitute agape love in this passage with God, we can. God is agape love. So read it again with that in mind. God is kind. God is patient. God always protects, always trusts, always hopes the best for you, and always perseveres with you. Amen. Hold on to that belief. Don't ever let go. God is with you. So, don't be afraid of quick and arbitrary judgments from God coming down on you when you make some mistake. Yes, there are consequences to our mistakes, but they are natural consequences, not arbitrary judgments from God. Look at Samson. Despite his many, many moral failings, God does not withdraw the gifts of Samson for his immorality, not when he kills impulsively, not when he sleeps with prostitutes. Now, some people say, we can't use our modern-day standards of morality to historic figures like Samson. He lived in a violent era. So they say his violence can be excused if we go by the standards of morality at the time. Okay then, let's use the standards at the time. His sleeping with prostitutes was a big no-no back then, especially because prostitutes at the time involved worship of idols. Also, he keeps lusting after Philistine women. This was specifically forbidden by the Bible as one of the biggest sins at the time. So, whether we use the modern standards or standards in effect at the time, Samson kept 
committing grave sin after another against God. Yet, God does not withdraw Samson's spiritual gift as a judgment on him for his moral failings until his hair is cut off. That's more mechanical. That's not about morality. That's a mechanical thing. It's about his physical uh, attribute. It's as if spiritual gifts are like natural gifts to God. Right? If you are naturally gifted, like LeBron James, he is an amazing basketball player with tremendous natural gifts. And if he has some moral failings, if he was violent or slept around, that, that would not affect his ability to play basketball. Natural gifts don't work like that. But if he broke his ankle, if there was some mechanical connection, to his natural gift with his body, he wouldn't be able to play well if he broke his ankle. Samson's spiritual gift seems to operate kind of like that. It's not his moral failings, but his hair that somehow gives him the power and losing his hair as a consequence, as if it were a natural gift, as if it were a mechanical thing. And this is an important lesson for us. We need to separate gifts from character. We need to stop equating spiritually gifted people with moral authority because it's not necessarily true that gifted people have better character. Makes sense to me. That to God, gifts are gifts, whether they are spiritual or natural. And can we agree that what is important in faith is character, not gifts? Let's remember this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have unconditional love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, tremendous spiritual gifts, but do not have unconditional love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have unconditional love, I gain nothing. What a powerful passage. Spiritual gifts mean nothing without agape love, unconditional love. The heart of Christian faith is unconditional love. Not gifts or knowledge or power or anything else at all. This is why we have uh, taken a pause for a while until we can discern what fruits are coming from uh, pursuing spiritual gifts. I speak to. I hope to speak more on on all of this and on why unconditional love is so important in faith in the future as well. But for today, just let's just take it from the Bible. Let's just practice unconditional love. Live by unconditional love, for that is the heart of faith. Don't ever discriminate. Don't put people in categories. How we view people's worth must be unconditional. Amen. Now, I would love to discuss all this with you, so please stick around for our Zoom Sunday discussions at 11.45.
I love seeing your faces and interacting with you. So please join us on our Zoom Sunday services at 11 or in one of our weekly Zoom groups. God bless everyone. Bye. Thank you.